think exposure can be quite an intoxicating thing and what can be used to um, to hook people in. So like you said, it's just having that, that sense of where your boundaries are. What are you gaining? What currency are you gaining? And actually that currency for you at that point of your career may be exposure. But, you know, at what point do you need to pay your mortgage and <laughs> turn on your heating again? So in today's episode, I'm talking with Dr. Catherine Hyatt, who is a portfolio GP and a clinical content expert. And she'll tell us a bit more about what that means. But in this episode, we actually deep dive into how she managed to position herself as a clinical content expert. So we talked about how she reached out to certain people and what reaching out actually meant and how she made a decision, a really difficult decision as to whether to work for paid or free in her first job in industry um, and also about how and what she advises doctors to do especially if you're starting out especially when it comes to content creation and the opportunities to find clients or companies to work with in that in that vein so this is an episode that you can't miss if you are looking to position yourself through content creation but also just moving to industry And don't forget, if you are a doctor that wants to move into industry faster and learn from all of the mistakes that I've made, (laughs) and I see thousands of doctors making, then go to medicfootprints.org forward slash industry and find out more about how myself and the team can help things make it a little bit easier for you. (laughs) A little bit easier, but easier, not 100% guaranteed, because it is hard work. And we love hard work. That's why we're doctors. Anyway, on to the show. Let's face it, burnout amongst doctors is sky high and we're actively seeking other ways to make the most of our transferable skills beyond the usual career pathways. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. I'm your host, Dr. Abena Bubbers-Jones, and I'm on a mission to connect 1 million doctors across the world with the best in diverse career opportunities. Hey, Catherine. Welcome to Disrupting Doctors' Careers. It is a pleasure to have you on this podcast. And we invited Catherine really because, I mean, we I, I met Catherine maybe about six, seven months ago. Um, but had seen some of what she was doing online anyway. And the great thing about her is not only being a wonderful person and a GP, but also she has positioned herself extremely well as a clinical content expert. And there aren't that many of them about, and there probably will be after this podcast episode. Um, but, but basically, I wanted the opportunity to have a chat with Catherine to really understand more about how she developed her career as a portfolio GP and how she's done it in industry using some of her passions and interests and doing remarkably well, currently working in a startup, Dematica. She's going to tell us a bit more about that. But thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thank you, Avena. I'm super excited to be here. As I mentioned to you when you asked, I kind of couldn't stop myself jumping up with excitement. <laughs> I've always wanted to be on a podcast. Yeah, so, you said um, music to your ears. I know. Like, <laughs> well, let's start singing <laughs> and talking about portfolio careers. So, I mean, obviously, GP is a really great foundation to develop a portfolio career. We all know that. Yeah. When you went into GP, 
were you thinking this is because I want to do a portfolio career or is it something that you've kind of naturally kind of segued into how did that come about it's a good question because I think it's something I have long suspected that full-time clinical medicine wasn't going to be a fit for me and actually the virtue of GP is you can lean in more easily, I would say, to a portfolio career within the current structures. Thankfully, that's changing for lots of hospital careers too, but it's it's more of a done thing in GP land. Um, but actually, it also became almost as a sense of sustainability that actually, as I was doing GP more full-time, it just became apparent to me that it was unsustainable for me to be a full-time GP. So a portfolio career was developed out of passion, but a little bit out of necessity as well, because I was just thinking, blimey, being a full-time GP is super hard. It's not necessarily aligning with all my passions, and I need Mm -hmm. to work out a way to change this. Okay. Fantastic, fantastic. And um, I mean, I've, I don't come across that many full time GPs anymore. No, maybe because a lot of them have burnt out. (laughs) And uh, realized that actually working less is a bit more sustainable and looking for (laughs) other to do other things. So how, how did you decide what that other thing was for you? What was that process like? Yeah, and actually just circling back to the first comment you make, it it says a lot, doesn't it, that there aren't many full-time GPs. And I suspect Mm -hmm. you're absolutely right that burnout is playing a huge element in that just not being a possibility. Um, But in terms of working out, I guess, what my other thing was, it was really tricky because actually when I was working full-time, you're almost too exhausted to actually work out what you're passionate about. Mm. And I remember feeling like a bit of a scattergun because I was like, okay, anything at the moment is better than being a GP full-time for me. Um, So what can I do? And I think the maybe more obvious paths present themselves to you. So in anyone training to be a GP or as a GP already, know there are lots of diplomas available. Um, So I was looking at those as a possibility, thinking about um, more practical GP, but traditional GP work, so for example, coil fitting. Um, But none of those really got me super excited. Um, And so I kept having a think and trying to get a sense of people whose careers I appreciated and got excited by looking at. Um, and someone I met along the way was called Dr. Rina Katecha, who works for a, a company called Mindful Medics. Um, and I reached out to her and just said, oh, hey, can I work with you? <laughs> um, and actually, she gave me my first bit of content work, which was writing um, for the course materials for a mindfulness for surgeons course. And as I was I can't, writing... Can I just jump in? Can I just yeah, jump yeah. In? Yeah, I love to jump, jump in. Jump in, sorry. <laughs> jump in. So tell me more about how you came across Rena and, and how the conversation led to writing. Was writing something that you were thinking, hey, that's something I want to do? Or is it just an opportunity that came up in the sense that you worked with someone that you felt aligned with in what they were doing? 
Yeah, it's a really good question. So in terms of how I came across Rena, it's actually through Practitioners Health Programme, which is a yeah. great UK-led service. Um, and um, they were running a course on mindfulness for medics. And I was thinking, okay, well, I definitely need a dose of mindfulness in my life. So I actually did Rena's course. Um, and um, she was really focusing on helping prevent burnout within medics as a whole and um, but also doing highly specialized work knowing that actually being in the clinical world is very different to being in other professions and as such the support structures needed for it vary as well so when I reached out to her it was actually more of a general gosh I think what you're doing is really cool I really respect your mission and I can absolutely see the need for why your business exists and actually it was um, her who suggested writing up the course materials as the first thing so it was quite serendipitous I've always enjoyed writing and I love reading but I had never really translated how I could do that as a medic um, and once I got that first bit of writing with Rena, I suddenly thought, hey, this is something I could um, do more of. And uh -huh. things kind of went on from there. Um, and how long ago was that, Catherine? That was, it was mid-pandemic when I was at the <laughs> end of my tether with GP. So I would say that uh -huh. was about 2020 after the first lockdown okay so I mean like under three years ago so really not that long in the grand scheme of things mm -hmm. so when you realized there was a a way to an, a, an entry point for you to really develop yourself outside of clinical practice what were your next steps and, and how did that come about and um, so my next steps were a bit of floundering and thinking how on earth do I do this so I actually signed up um, with my local deanery and they were doing careers coaching um, and I found that super helpful and clarifying because I again was trying to work out how to make a plan of action and actually that really helped me work out the things I did and didn't enjoy doing um, and then I I actually started reaching out in uh, a, quite a random way to like people I like just saying, hey, can I work with you again? So I thought, okay, work with Rena, let me try again. Um, and actually I reached out to Red Magazine, which is a women's magazine um, in the UK. Um, and I managed to get some work writing um, for their digital edition as a women's like just about GP so we did a series on menopause um and which gained quite a lot of traction as well so that developed my confidence in writing and almost putting myself forward as a mm -hmm. writer and a doctor as well okay jumping um, in again I think that's yeah. really fantastic that you had the courage to reach out to this particular magazine and what did reaching out actually look like because, uh, yeah, we hear, we hear that term being used quite a lot. Uh, but one of it's the nice struggles that doctors, yeah, doctors face <laughs> is like, what, what, is, what did you actually have to do? A, yeah. to get someone to respond, you might have been lucky and get a response first time, uh, yeah. or maybe not. And B, to actually convince them that you doing something for them would be in their own benefit. So I'd love to hear a bit yeah. more about that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I think I got really lucky with my experience with Red because I reached out at a time where the digital editor was just changing and they mm. needed someone straight away. So that was just a luck and timing thing. Mm. Um, and I initially... Did you, did you just email someone? Like when you said reached out, like what, what did that actually involve? Yeah, so initially I emailed the editor of the whole magazine and I got radio silence, as one would mm-hmm. expect. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I just looked up online uh, emails for Red Magazine and sent the same email multiple times. So I would say it wasn't very highbrow. It was just like, See, I'm just going to so, keep emailing. So that information is so important. Yeah. I love the way we've gone from you just reached out and the job was yours <laughs> to actually I had to do a lot of research. I had to look a lot of email. Well, and I said, you know... <laughs> Athena, it makes you sound, it makes you sound so much better if I say I just reached out. <laughs> I know, but it's more like I would I I really want to highlight yeah, the amount yeah. of grafting it really takes yeah. in people's narratives yeah. and storytelling that gets yeah. glossed over. Just to put it into perspective for, for others, because you know when you're like doing the same thing, if I come and follow you and say, Oh, I, I can just reach out to a magazine and they're just yeah. gonna give me a job and an opportunity. It's like, well actually reality is that you know, that's not really how it happens. I need to do a lot of work to actually get their attention in the yeah. first place. And like what we actually also haven't talked about is what did you put in the emails? As in mm-hmm. how did you position it so that actually got a response? Like how did you end up sending in the end? Just out again, these numbers are again really valuable insights for doctors yeah. who are going to be doing the same thing, whether it's like content, whether it's jobs, anything. So yeah. I'd love to hear more from that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting because say when I reached out to Reno, who was someone I I knew yeah. I'd connected with personally yeah. before, actually the nature of the email was very different because you know you have that instant connection yeah um and actually that is a very different interaction um and actually I I would love to dig out the emails I sent to Red because now I probably cringe at how I was pitching myself you're not taught any of this useful life stuff in in med school uh-huh. um but I essentially I, I think my enthusiasm came across. So I just said, you know, I love your magazine. Um, this is what I could offer you. Do you have any work? And it actually wasn't, you know, too long. I didn't attach a CV or anything because mm. at that point, all I had was clinical work, which doesn't mean much um, outside of the um, medical world for someone reading that CV. Yeah. Um, so I... I suspect that I my email dropped into the inbox at the right time once I got the right email to send it to. But I think also that people respond really well if your enthusiasm comes through. And it, I don't know, I think there's a sense of like people can come across quite sterile in emails or like uh, there's uh-huh. a bit of, I don't know, playing lip service to a company but I think it comes across when you are actually excited by an idea and that I always lean into that enthusiasm and would rather come across as a overexcitable puppy than someone who's kind of a bit apathetic and playing it cool. (laughs) 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 So funny so um so was it literally the one email as in I know you sent a number of emails to different people yeah 
But did you have to do any follow-ups or was it literally one of those people just answered straight away? So in that case, with the magazine case, uh, I got the answer and actually I got a brief pretty much straight away. I think it's really helpful to say and for complete transparency, I wasn't paid for my work with Red. And I think that is just it's a helpful talking point I think that actually it's do you work for free and it's something Mm. that I've gone back and forth on Mm. um thinking about it's now I don't work for free um but I think there is a debate when you're trying to get into something about the virtue of of working for free, how long you should do it, what your parameters should be. And I think that should be something that people consider because if you, if companies are able to have you for free, they will have you for free. Um, so it's also that sense of knowing your worth and knowing when to stop as well. I think that's an extremely pertinent um, discussion point. <laughs> and I'm really glad that you raised it. Um, because like what we're talking about is is working from well there's free and there's money because yeah. obviously you can work from a variety of different reasons that doesn't involve money that's what we're talking yeah. about here so for you working for them helped you in the sense of gaining um greater experience in industry writing for a magazine like a well-known magazine mm-hmm. um and i guess network as well relationships that kind of thing and so for that that was of significant value to you and you've obviously made a decision as to how long you would do that and you 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 know that was I assume it was a lot of conscious decision making there mm-hmm. um and let's looking at because there, there's always this big debate as to whether to, to get into industry to get your foot in the door do you work for free yeah. um my philosophy is especially as a doctor you don't have to work for free. It's not something that you necessarily, I don't think Dr. Gip should be in the mindset that in order to get ahead, they have to do it for free to start off with. That's hundred mm-hmm. percent not the case at all. They don't, they also don't have to do it at below market rate or either. It doesn't have to be yeah. the case at all, but it's really important that doctors make a conscious, like weighing up the risks and benefits of not having that remuneration in the form of money but is there mm-hmm. any other value that they're getting from it that's probably the equivalent of what they would probably get if they were paid? Because everyone's got different situation, right? And some Absolutely. people may feel actually this is, is way more valuable than if I was actually paid X, Y, and Z for it. I'd rather do it for that experience rather than mm-hmm. necessarily take the pay at this time and then obviously reevaluate the situation because things change. Uh, but it's really important that you have that conversation with yourself and you evaluate it in that way. Um, because yeah, there's other things that you can get in, in exchange, you know, other than money. Uh, I was reading a book on the, the Osborne beginners book for there's money, philosophy, economics, and actually economics in particular, it's, it's, it's mainly about looking at not just cash. You can also barter other things as we have done since the beginning of time. Um, but it's, it's about the value at the end of the day that you are getting and that the company is getting and making sure you're both comfortable with that arrangement. It's an arrangement. 
Yeah, so. 100%. And I think exposure can be quite an intoxicating thing and what can be used to um, to hook people in. So like you said, it's just having that, that sense of where your boundaries are. What are you gaining? What currency are you gaining? And actually that currency for you at that point of your career may be exposure. Um, but, you know, at what point do you need to pay your mortgage? And <laughs> turn exactly. In I mean, we them? know that most doctors at the moment are working for free in the NHS. Yes, yeah. And the NHS, I'm sad to say it, you know, does run on a lot of altruism, not just from doctors, but from other healthcare workers. Mm -hmm. And as we know, as we speak right now, junior doctors are planning to strike again and overpay. Mm -hmm. And uh, actually, I'm not going to go into this. I literally go off into another rant, which I'm not going to do. But yeah, it's another podcast we should definitely do another podcast episode we should definitely do anyway moving back <laughs> to to you and so I mean I think it's fantastic what you've done especially having the courage to actually reach out and what that involved to get what to get the experience and and really kind of pad out your portfolio as a as a content writer mm-hmm. so at what point did you then start positioning yourself as a clinical content writer and then using that to um, jump into other areas and avenues, particularly in health tech? So I think at that time of my career, I had just moved over to uh, Fablum, um, which is a um, obviously super well-known company and um, in the health tech space as well. So I think that was a really actually awesome time in my career to suddenly realise how many other opportunities were out there. And I think when you are, you know, I was on a very prescriptive path, so to speak. I had done my foundation years. I've done my GP training. I've gone straight into a salaried role. And you almost don't realise all the opportunities that exist. And actually working um, in a new company in a new way was a really exciting time to start, like, looking at other possibilities um and actually whilst I was there um Claudia Pistides was working there as uh their medical content manager I believe was her title at the time but we will check her LinkedIn to review that um and she was doing lots of really cool content about um you know on youtube on social media and also blogs as well and I remember thinking oh I really like to have your job <laughs> and trying to work out how I would be able to get into a role like that as well. So I think just being having exposure into a different type of company was super helpful. And also just having, I think naturally when you change jobs, it's almost like start of school year feeling that you start evaluating exactly Maybe. where you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get my new pencils. Um, And um, so then I was able, um, when um, opportunities started coming in within the company I was working at, I was able to put my hand up at them and it just so aligned at the time um, that an opportunity came up in-house, which I could go for as a medical copywriter Mm. and content. So did they advertise for this opportunity? Yes, they did. Awesome, awesome. Mm-hmm. So you put yourself forward for that. And how did that, how, how did it go as an internal opportunity? So it was really interesting in terms of because I was predominantly in the clinical operations 
arm of the business before, so I was interviewed um, a few times by the um, creative team, which was really exciting in and of itself because I was like, oh my gosh, am I a creative now? I'm speaking to the creative team. Um, and I was also asked to do a test task from memory um, as well, which again was really interesting because um, as a medic I'd done, you know, I hadn't really interviewed before. <laughs> there is such a need for doctors, you just get used to, you do, for example, like a situational judgment test and you rank deaneries and things yeah. like that, but I hadn't actually had that experience of interviewing before and presenting strategies. So that was actually a really good opportunity to try and flex those skills. Mm, how did you prepare? Um, I <laughs> Initially I panicked, how do I do an interview? Um, which is a key part of any preparation. Um, and um, then I actually... Um, spoke to friends who worked in the creative field so I actually veered away from speaking to uh, medic friends who hadn't necessarily been through similar um, patterns before. I also I was really pleased with the piece of work I produced in terms of for the um, the st strategy presentation so I practiced that loads and loads and felt really slick with that and that really helped my confidence in the interview, I think, because I felt like, oh, I'm really excited by this piece of work. And then that made me feel more comfortable as a, as a touchstone as well. Awesome. Awesome. And was it just the one interview you had to go through to get the job or? So it is a two stage interview process. Yeah. Well, so what were the two stages? So initially it was meeting, so it was meeting two arms of the team. So I met the, uh, like the creative director initially and one of the other copywriters. And then I moved um, over and had a chat to the CRM team as well, because clinical content is a lot more than, you know, the blogs or the patient information you see. It can touch every part of a, of a health tech company and beyond. So things like speaking to the CRM, so the email marketing team. What's CRM, is, Catherine? It is, oh, you're testing me now. It's basically the email marketing team. So customer um, relationship management. So usually when people refer to CRM, they're, they're, that's basically that's what they're referring to. And usually it's, yeah. it's the software, uh, but sometimes you do have a team behind the software too. Um, yeah. But that is, as you know, crucial to all parts of the business. Um, but yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And it's amazing how, you know, through working with that team, you see the virtue of things like really strong email marketing, really good push notifications, all these little parts of content, which you may not necessarily think is content before you start doing the role. Uh -huh. Interesting. So, I mean, you, you obviously had the, you met the creative director, you met the CRM team. Mm -hmm. Did you ever get any feedback as to like why they chose you and um, they said they liked how enthusiastic I was okay <laughs> okay an excitable puppy okay um, okay and um and um they felt that it aligned with what they wanted from the role because they wanted someone who was clinical so in a doctor's position but who also enjoyed the content part of it and as you mentioned at 
the start of this call. I think at the time there weren't necessarily that many doctors interested in content. That has changed hugely, I would say, over the last year or so, um, which is going to make my my life much more competitive. Um, yeah, but... I mean, like literally, like when when did I see it? it was like like literally like six seven months ago. Yeah, and in that time, <laughs> I'm not saying I've seen. Well, yeah, because like content creation is is like blown up. Yeah. absolutely blown up as a thing that people have been doing since the beginning of time I have to say it's not something that's new yeah. but it's just the way it's positioned as a as a career that can be monetized effectively and recognized and valued especially by young emerging companies particularly with like in tech it's yeah. just actually phenomenal the number of medical students and doctors who are now all clinical or content writers or content creators yeah. uh with a, you know it's 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 phenomenal actually yeah <laughs> in a it's really amazing. short space of time Absolutely. And it's super exciting because, you know, I, I saw um, some great content only a couple of days ago from Dr. Liz O'Riordan, who's a surgeon and breast yeah. cancer survivor. And she was myth busting of the progesterone only pill and breast cancer headline, which has hit the news in the last couple of weeks. And she was just top notch with her delivery. She was so no nonsense, great evidence base. And I did think, gosh, this like, like amazing amount of creators who are coming up it's just going to make us all better at our jobs which is yeah um pretty exciting yeah no absolutely so um yeah I mean like we, we've touched upon it but mm -hmm. there's also the bit about I mean now you're working at Dematica yes and um doing remark I mean you've been there for a couple of months now as yeah. a clinical content lead, congratulations, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. And you're doing that alongside some other GP work. Mm -hmm. So for like, what advice would you give for doctors who are looking to, again, continue their clinical work, but also looking mm -hmm. to develop themselves in a, you know, industry, corporate, health tech setting, but actually mm -hmm. finding clients, finding companies that will work with them or will offer them jobs or opportunities, whether it's employed or self-employed. So yeah, what, what, what recommendations would you give to them? I think my, my main two recommendations are just number one, get really clear on what you want to do and what you're offering to a company because it's not enough to now just be a doctor who wants to get out of full-time doctoring. You need to be absolutely clear on what you want to do. And I appreciate that when you're at a space of overload and you're fed up of full-time clinical medicine, sometimes any route out feels better, but it really helps getting that clarity. And it means you're in a better position to sell yourself because you know what you are selling as well so I think that is super helpful um, and the next thing is LinkedIn. LinkedIn has completely changed my career trajectory over the last couple of years. I used to be quite dubious about it and think like I didn't really get the point of LinkedIn and um, it's just been such a helpful platform for me in terms of network building you know, finding a mentor, building a community, you know, we met through LinkedIn. Um, and then actually, it's also a really good exercise in building a personal brand, which is something as medics, we have 
generally have had no experience of. I think the younger generation of medics are already much stronger at it, but it was a really good space for me to develop a sense of actually who I wanted to be career-wise and actually almost inadvertently build this brand, um, which has led to, you know, people like you asking me to go on a podcast. So it's um, it's been really worth it for me. Tell me, Catherine, what is this brand? What is Catherine Hyatt? What are they buying into? Pharisy, <laughs> tell me. Oh, no, I'm what? being tested. <laughs> you should be at the top of your tongue, girl. Oh, I know. I know, that's a key with being a wordsmith, isn't it? <laughs> so, you know, for me, it's all, all about being... I'm a clinical content specialist and that's I remember actually listening to one of your podcasts a few months ago and you said be able to say in one sentence who you are and what you're doing because then you can delve into the details so I'm a GP and clinical content specialist uh, and my personal brand is just I just love content and you can get that sense through my posts, I think that I get really excited about it. Enthusiastic, um, overexcited puppy. Yeah, that is that <laughs> is the brand. <laughs> and I'm enjoying, you know, it's so nice to really enjoy my work as well, which I yeah. wasn't feeling when I was in full-time clinical medicine. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, when, when we touched base last time, I think one of the things that really stood out for me at that time, compared to now, I was like, that time, like, you, your website was Mm -hmm. spoke what you did Mm -hmm. in the sense that you know being a clinical content expert your copywriting was excellent Mm -hmm. and copywriting is key now and and will increasingly become even more so um and I just looked I just loved how clean your website was Mm -hmm. and very simple but very specific and you position yourself quite well and then since then I followed you again online and LinkedIn and you just look like you're having a lot of fun (laughs) having a great amount of fun and you're doing some really cool stuff and some really impactful things and I'm just so 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 pleased for you so so pleased for you as to how how you've been developing your career but just going back to what you said about yeah one of the things like because we we recently launched our doctors in industry incubator to help doctors move to industry faster and one thing that's really standing out not only from the doctors on the incubator but the ones that have applied is that clarity is like the biggest, the biggest issue that doctors face that's holding them back from yeah. getting the opportunities that they want, uh, particularly because they just want to try and do, I mean, I, I was having an email conversation with another doctor recently who was literally, I'm going to do like radiology, I'm going to do aesthetics, I'm going to be doing uh, psychiatry, I'm going to be, and it's like, okay, great. Uh, number one, burnout. Uh, number two burnout and number three like how can you really do something well and move in a direction when you're literally spread everywhere and don't get me wrong I've 100% been there for a long time Mm -hmm. I am not saying I'm the perfect child uh, poster child for this at all I've made every single mistake every doctor could have thought of in, mm-hmm. in, in really kind of shaping my career to what it is today. So it's mm-hmm. as a result of making a billion mistakes and learning from it being key. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's easy to see how do- why doctors struggle. And yeah. now it's increasingly important, as you've said, to why you really have to be specific about how you, A, clarity on who you are and what you're for, 
and then position yeah. yourself to the right people and then realizing there's still a lot of hard grafting involved <laughs> it's not easy but you will Absolutely. get there if you're persistent but also if you're focused yeah and I think it's important to remember that everything makes sense in retrospect so I'm sitting here as you know yes. a clinical content lead loving my role and you know having worked for a few years to get here but if you'd asked me when I first reached out to Rena with that email what will you be doing in a few years time I would have had no idea so I think it's easy to get demoralized because you know as medics we're used to being high achievers wanting to get things quickly as well but actually time as time can be a great diagnostic factor, time can be great at just carving your path and making sure you're going in the right direction. And LinkedIn, like with lots of social media, is a highlights reel. So it may seem that everyone around you is is doing the dream thing, but I suspect they're just probably telling you about the dream, the dream aspects of it rather than the whole story. I think that's a really, really wonderful place to end it on. And I want to thank you so much for your time, for coming on this podcast, for your insights, for getting into some of the detail. Um, and if anyone wants to reach out to you, how can they best do that, Catherine? LinkedIn. I'm not sponsored by LinkedIn, I promise. But yeah, just uh, look me up. I'm Dr. Catherine Hart on LinkedIn. Awesome. Thank you so much, Catherine. And uh, I'm sure that we'll be speaking again at some point soon. Absolutely. Lovely to chat. Cheers, David. Take care. Thank you.